episode 244 of the winning six podcast i'm your host adam mcgee and joining me as usual it's my good friend jordan tresky hello there jordan hello it's been a while and we've said this a few times recently i i feel like we do two podcasts we go away and we come back it's been a while um it's been i think it's safe to say that's a while that stops though for the foreseeable future i don't think we'll get away with the whole you know three weeks without a podcast thing again anytime soon we're coming to you on the eve of books pre-season so yeah winning six is very much going to get back in something of a regular groove um i'm not gonna say that we're always gonna be out on this day i'm not gonna say we're gonna have this many podcasts a week things are gonna be fluid Right, Jordan, it's going to be loosey-goosey. Much, or no, unlike a Mike Boonholzer-led team? I don't know. No, like. I, oh, sure, like. I sure hope a Bucks team under Bud's going to be fluid. That offense is... Well, not loosey-goosey. No, well, uh, maybe. Maybe. He kind of wants some improvisation. We're jumping way ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> um, basically... You'll have winning six to listen to sometimes if you so choose. Some weeks it'll be once a week. Some sometimes it'll be twice a week. I'm not going to run through all of the days of the week to tell you it's possible, but it is possible the episode could drop on any of those days. That's possible. It may drop on none of those days. Welcome back to the new winning six. <laughs> Suspense. We like to keep you on your toes. Yeah, I guess. Um, stuff happens and we can't be held responsible for that that could be the tagline of the podcast on that note though jordan let's actually get into it let's talk about books basketball because it has been a while um we unfortunately we missed some things we wanted to talk about in our time away in terms of there's a there's a week of weirdness books history podcast that we might have to get in there sometimes because we we wrote about some fun stories. They may need some exploration. We may have a way to do that soon enough. Some fronts of that. Um, but we'll see. But other news. We every have... day is, or every, I was about to say every day is a week of weirdness. <laughs> every week is for sure. That's true. Well, we have been away though. We've had media day. The training camp roster. And, you know, we love to talk about training camp battles. Um, that has all come into focus, and now we are right on the verge of the starter books preseason. 
Jabari Parker's return to face the books for the very first time. The first game, I'm not counting the scrimmage. I'm, you notice I didn't even mention the scrimmage as a thing we missed. The first game to be held at Pfizer 4. And with that, really, the season is here. I know we're going to see the team's more important players play like 15 minutes. Not really care a whole lot about winning or losing. But once preseason starts, you don't really notice the time go by until you're at opening night. I mean, what date? Less than two weeks is yeah. going to be. Once once um, once the books play the Bulls, you'll have less than two weeks to the actual regular season opener against the Pacers. And even within that time, you're going to have important decisions coming tick and fast as the books opt not to sign any of the training camp players and bring someone else in at the, <laughs> the final moment. Where do you want to start, Jordan? What will we... What will we talk about first? Do you want to go into training camp and the shape of that roster, or let's do? Let's go, Ed Sheeran. Sheeran. <laughs> Ed Sheeran. Shape of roster. That's a. Oh, oh my god. god. <laughs> <sighs> um. Okay. The shape of the roster. It's all the guys you know, plus. Tim Frazier, Shabazz Muhammad. I mean, you kind of know him by now. Christian Wood, vaguely familiar. Yeah. And we should probably in this front mention Tyler Zeller again because he is the man on the hot seat. Um, if Tyler Zeller is on the roster come opening night, well then, <laughs> the training camp battle was likely for nothing. You know, it was again a case of why did we talk about that? What have we done with all those hours? What have we done with our lives? Tyler Zeller remains a book. If Tyler Zeller was an early 2000s game show, he'd be the weakest link. Yeah, right. that's fair. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm not going to. I was going to actually get into discussing the weakest link, but I'll just leave because it was convenient, <laughs> the title of the show, for what you're looking to do there. Let's start with the first part of this, which really sets up whether we need to have the rest of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Do you think Tyler Zeller will be on the books roster come opening night? No, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, he was one of two players that didn't talk at media day, right? It was him and Thon. Yeah, so I'm not. You don't want to read into that. As no, a, I wouldn't because yeah. Tom being the other, I don't think he's saying worse. But go on, continue. There's just something about it. I don't know. It, it's it's. This goes into other parts of this training camp battle, but I just think you already have a. I wouldn't say a like, mind or like for like with him and John Henson. I think they. There's an overlap in what they bring bring in terms of skills and stuff like that, but Zeller is more kind of the more physical presence that John Henson's at best timid <laughs> in that department. But um, yeah, I I just I'd be really surprised. I think too. I think a lot of it just comes down to like what really stands out in the minds of Boonholzer, his staff, and Horace. Um, I think if you want a more not polished big man, but, but kind of like the, the tantalizing big man that is kind of like this 
diamond in the rough. I mean, it's more Christian Wood than Tyler Zeller at this point, uh, given their you know difference in age and uh, growth pattern. But I don't know. Shabazz still looms there. I, I just I would be very surprised if Zeller makes last it. The thing with Zeller is he kind of fits a bud team, and it, it, like I I do think we're only in this position purely because of his contract. He's the guy with an unguaranteed contract, and that may seem obvious, but the point of that is. As much as he wasn't all that impressive, I don't think this is necessarily a referendum on Tyler Zeller. Um, as much as it is, we're trying to we're trying to maximize what we have going into the season. You are the avenue yeah. we have to upgrade, and I think he's unfortunate in that regard because I think a lot of what he did with the Celtics could mesh nicely within within a bud coach team, and mm-hmm. also he. He thrived and particularly started showing some three point range that didn't really carry over to the books. And um, I haven't even, I don't even know what his percentages were, but I can't really remember him attempting many, if any, trees with the books. But under Kenny Atkinson, former assistant to coach Bud and assistant alongside many of the now books coaching mm-hmm. staff, he was really successful. And I wonder, I wonder what kind of conversations and inside kind of knowledge what the inside track on Zeller might be in that capacity because you've got Brook Lopez who is going to be the starter and even if somehow he's not the starter he's going to play the bulk of the minutes at center out of the group of traditional centers when you go beyond that though I mean Henson isn't the guy that this coaching staff would really be looking to play at center and what they've talked about this books team being it's just again a situation where his contract makes it you know a necessity that well he's a part of it you're gonna have to work with that and then ton i mean ton is so raw maybe they have all of their eggs in the ton maker basket and said if we can make this work well then what have we got or maybe they're a little bit apprehensive about we don't want to get in a position where we want spacing or we want someone who does this or does that and we need Ton Maker to be the guy providing that for us. Zeller is the steady veteran guy who also has he also has more of the skill set they want though or he has shown greater evidence of that maybe as much evidence as Ton in a lot of ways. So for me that makes it interesting. I don't see a way they can keep him just because they can't get rid of someone else. I think the way that they ideally would have liked to do it is if you could find a way to get off Henson's contract pain-free, you probably would have been pretty happy to say, okay, our three bigs on the roster are Lopez, Maker, and Zeller. But without doing that, I think Zeller is probably going to be looking for a new team, be off the books roster, and that's not, not really related in a meaningful way to what his game is or how he might fit with this team. Because if anything, he fits better now than he did when he was acquired. The coaching staff would make a lot more sense for him and the style of play the books are going to play on both ends of the floor as well. I think um, would be much more suited to Tyler's other strengths. So that is an interesting one to watch. It's even going to be interesting to see if he plays like, are we going to see him playing significant minutes where he's almost trying to convince them where there is a fight for it? 
or is it really decided and this is some something of a courtesy i don't know um let's we'll get to shabazz we'll get to christian wood i want to go to tim frazier because he's the guy who we probably haven't talked about on the podcast no um i feel like it was very soon after our last episode where the books shared the photo of him at the kevin hart show with the rest (laughs) of the team which i mean is a pretty strange way to kind of let it let it seep out there that you know tim frazier is going to be joining the team you and i discussed this at the time we weren't actually aware he was a free agent so it seemed even more strange um but he is a free agent not well he was anyway he may be again soon right now he's not he's a milwaukee books player what do you think about frazier as an audition as, as a player getting an audition for the books roster how do you think he fits into that mix is there something to consider here is is he a cause for genuine intrigue or is it just he's the guy who they've added kind of at the last minute because look christian wood we know the reasons why he's there they've got a good look at him and they want an even better look at him shabazz muhammad same applies Frazier being the wild card in this, is he the guy they brought in saying we just couldn't turn down the opportunity to possibly have him? Or is he, let's fill out the roster, let's kind of round out the numbers? I think if he were to have been added to the training camp roster last year, I would have been a little bit more intrigued, given the fact that, you know, this time last year the Bucks didn't have Eric Bledsoe. Um, but yeah. He's an interesting flyer by. I just don't see it progressing all that much. He's kind of, I don't want to put too much stock in what he did last year, but if you're assigned by the Washington Wizards as, you know, to <laughs> fill up backup point guard minutes, that's uh, never been good for anybody that's <laughs> done that. I mean, Brandon Jennings, we know well, uh, struggle with that. I mean, the list goes on and on. Ramon Sessions is, I believe, still a Washington Wizard. Like, they're just, it's, yeah. It's like a graveyard of, of reserved point guards in the league. But um, he just doesn't really he's, – he, he's interesting in that he could be kind of a, a a plucky defender or something like that, but he just doesn't really have a the ideal skill set offensively that makes him kind of a worthy addition to their roster. He can't – he struggled with the shooting from three. I think – I mean, like, yeah, shooting is the thing, really, isn't it? Because when you're talking yeah. about that, I mean, for me, uh, there is a real appeal to Frazier. He's a really good playmaker. He's got a really good instincts. And um, unlike a lot of point guards in the NBA in 2018, he does a really good job of taking care of the ball. Um, when I say that, say Delhi does a good job of doing that. Tim Frazier is so much better than any book at taking care of the ball. It's pretty remarkable. I wrote about him oh, probably probably about two weeks ago now. But, I mean, for his career, he averages 8.1 assists per 36 minutes. He's never finished a season with an assist-to-turnover ratio lower than 2.4. And the last two seasons, I mean, even last year, which didn't go how he wanted, how the Wizards anticipated, he had an assist to turnover ratio of 3.4 in Washington, which is really, really good. Um, no book has, in the last two seasons, got over a 3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. And he has had two seasons in a row in very different situations where he's managed to do that. In that regard, I think he is a very, very natural fit 
for Bud's team. And for Bud, a lot of people, they'll instantly think about shooting. But a real emphasis of what he's going to do is going to be moving the ball and multiple playmakers. Mm-hmm. And we've heard John Horst has his... Um, what's the, the phrase he's been going with? They want players who can... Handle, pass, shoot. Right. The shooting part is maybe a problem there. Handle and pass, Tim Frazier can definitely do and could probably do better than 80% of the books roster, at least. Probably being kind to some people. Um, I think there there would be a place for him, but again, we're coming into this thing of you're creating another logjam. Mm-hmm. And it is a tricky one. I think if you're going to have a logjam, I would rather have it a point guard. You can play two point guards together. You can go small in the backcourt. It's also the position, like we've talked before, the books have so many ways that if they had an injury crisis, they could still fill center minutes, whether that's Ursan, whether that's Giannis, whether it's any of the bigs. Like their, their collection of options to play at center is pretty significant. Last year, we saw them get exposed at point guard. And I wonder if that's in their head a little bit because Malcolm Brogdon... You know, he has had some injury problems. Um, sure, his time in college, now into the NBA. Eric Bledsoe, I mean, knock on wood, was healthy pretty much all of his time with the books last year. He, he arrived with, a, with an injury, um, but was healthy pretty much from then on. That has not been the case for most of his NBA career. He, in fact, could easily have been described as injury prone for a significant spell of that. And then, of course, we saw Delhi miss a lot of last season too. That is how you end up with Brandon Jennings mid-season. I wonder if they would be open to saying, okay, sure, Giannis can handle the ball, Chris can handle the ball, that if it came to it, you know, we could have other players play point guard, at least initiate the offense, if not guard the position. It mightn't be a bad idea to have more cover there, though. I mean, we're we're cra- kind of gradually working our way through this. I'll go to Wood next, and then we'll talk about Shabazz, because I think it's easy to see, well, how do these guys fit in in terms of rounding out the roster? To me, Tim Frazier is the second most logical addition. Mm. Toss salad and scrambled eggs for everyone. It's a Frazier reference. Do you, uh, I guess you disagree with that, do you? Mm, I would probably put him third. I mean, because I think, I think, three, I think, or are we including Zeller in that? Yeah, I'm cl- including Zeller in that, probably. Okay. Do you want to go into your reasoning on that, or does that really well, I, I naturally think, bring us over into the other guys? Go on. I think the, for on the topic of like point guard cover, I think that's where they see Dante fitting in. Oh no, it's true. I mean, I get that. Is that cover right no. now? I, I don't. Well, I, at Maybe. least at this point, as in his career, I don't think it is. Like, I feel like last season, uh, I shouldn't say this because it sounds like I'm saying something else. 
Jordan's shaking his head already. He knows where it's going to go. But that feels like saying last year that, oh, you know, if things went really bad, Rashad Vaughn could be, he could be point guard cover. <laughs> I don't, I don't mean the thing that naturally gets inferred just by bringing up that example. Um, yeah, maybe you're right. And I guess on a depth chart, technically you could say that. I do feel like that could be more his. I don't know. Actually, you know what? I don't know. I've been on record before. I don't know what to make of and how to make sense of Dante DiVincenzo and the fact that the books decided to select him at 17. I'm hoping they're going to show me something. He's going to show me something very soon that makes me think otherwise. I hear he made a tree in scrimmage, which I mean, that means nothing, but it's an improvement on Summer League. That's <laughs> true. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know, though. That that doesn't add to, like, when I go through the point guard rotation, which could be and should be very, very strong and steady, yet if injuries kicked in and there, you do have these fragile cases really all around, like, you can make a case for there's good reason to believe they may not hold up all season. Your insurance at the end of that being, oh, well, we can always play the rookie at point guard whose natural position mm, probably isn't point guard. That doesn't inspire me with confidence. I, Tim Frazier is not a world beater. It's not like you're bringing in like this incredible point guard, but could he be a steady pair of hands? I mean, the answer is yes, because he's proven that in the past. He's actually proven to be an incredibly steady pair of hands, someone who shouldn't be in a position where he's fighting for this kind of opportunity. It just so happened that when he got something of a bigger chance that could have been a much bigger chance with John Wall's injuries last year, he really didn't make the most of it. And Thomas Sadoransky basically drank his milkshake and left Tim Frazier in a situation where now he is fighting to stay in the league. Who is your number two? I, uh, because we know Zeller, Zeller is bottom of your list, then it's Tim Frazier. So who's your number two for this? Um, what's not my are you, is this preferred power rankings? Well, is <laughs> there a, is there a difference between your preference and you think the most logical choice for the books? Mine is probably the same because I don't want them making illogical things. <laughs> You know, logical decisions don't fit into my preferences because they're going to cause me headaches and anger down the line. Mm. I think there is some difference in how I think it's going to go and how I would prefer it to go. I don't know. Okay, lay it out for us. I think if we're going by my view of how they're going to go, I think Shabazz number two. I mean, there there is good reason to think that, and yeah. that is that Christian Wood was giving given a significant amount of guaranteed money. When I say significant, it was reported that he got the amount that stops you from going to play for the G League team, yeah. which is uh, restrictive to say the least. Which would make you think that, oh, uh, yeah, the goal there is to have him on the books. Because otherwise, what was the point of any of this? Yeah, I uh, 
I mean, th- that's what's so weird is that we, he obviously has a standout summer league uh, with the Bucks, And then you're initially led to believe, oh yeah, they're not really that interested in Sidium. And then probably what? A month and a half passes, and then all of a sudden he gets signed by the Bucks. <laughs> uh, and then uh, was it Bobby Mark said there was a hundred thousand guarantee, one hundred k guarantee, something like that in his contract for uh, training camp. I mean, that alone, you're not going to say like, oh, like that's the reason why he's going to make it because of you know because of the guarantee. But I do think that if he sustains this level of play, which is a big if from going from summer league to even just preseason, you know, preseason is not like an end all be all or anything like that. If you've watched preseason games around the league already, but if he's able to kind of sustain some kind of impact and, you know, show a little more versatility uh, in different ways or something, I don't know. Maybe they're going to think like, we just can't let our, you know, let this guy walk for, what he may be like this diamond on the rough type player. I don't know. Even though there's not much of an opportunity for him to play, <laughs> play minutes at the center position, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I, I mean, know. it is though. It is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't hire players to not be able to play and be like, Oh, you could be good, but we've got no minutes for him. <laughs> I mean, I, they've clearly the only reason they've signed him is with a view to him being a book. By paying him that much, you you lose the possibility that he could be on the herd, and maybe he could be a book in the longer term, but in the short term, he'll at least help the herd be successful, maybe get something go there, maybe they figure something out, whatever way you want to think of that. Um it's they're they're paying him that to stop him from going elsewhere. Like that's that is the reality of it, because when you're you're taking the G League option off the table. You're just putting that money down to say, okay, this is the place you should come and try to make an NBA team. Now, I don't know if he had other offers, what other offers he may have had. I hope he had other offers and the books weren't, you know, leveraged against themselves in a Miles Pumley-esque situation on a much smaller scale. But this isn't the best opportunity in terms of playing time, really. I mean, you could say that if he really kind of cracks it and he just figures this thing out, there's a path to maybe being the primary backup and having a really significant role. But that is the the ultimate, you know, if everything works out more realistically, he's probably rarely getting on the court. And that none of that again has anything to do with like that. He's not a, he's not a kind of, uh, an interesting player, a player with a lot of potential swing worth taking. It's just, is a swing worth taking if you haven't got minutes to play it? And why? The only reason to you sign a player is what they can give you on the court. So is there a path to him getting really significant minutes right now? And if not, what what is the point? What are they doing it for? It's I don't like the Christian Wood situation because of that guarantee and because it's already... F- forcing us into this position because it does feel like that could be something that he gets the final spot and three months from now he's played like maybe 40 minutes in total and we're sitting here saying well how does he develop what did they really get out of it could they not have used that spot with another player at another position 
like it, it sets up all of those questions. I think it's that's ideal for a two way contract, but they've used up their two ways and they've they've actually used up their two ways and two guys who could fit a similar mold in terms of if you want to project out what their development could be or like if you can if you combine Duval and Morris's story maybe you get something that's closer to to Christian Wood in some ways maybe not attitude and mentality wise which are really his biggest hurdles but you get something that isn't that far away I mean they're your risks so when you take those risks there you don't want to cut yourself down to having a 14-man roster effectively. I don't know. It is it is an interesting one. The last part of this then is Shabazz, and we've talked about this before, and I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think Shabazz should be the front runner. He'd be my preference because he is the option that gives you the most balance to the roster. And if you look at areas where this team may still end up lacking, would it be helpful to have another small forward who could play some minutes at the four? Yeah, that, that is that is what the NBA is now. And that's also what we're led to believe Bud's team is going to be more about, is having more flexible, versatile lineups, which, as funny as it is, those terms we use flexibility and versatility. Um, it's actually more uniformity. It's more getting five players on the court who are a similar size. Yep. And it's easier to do that than by bringing in a seven footer or bringing in a six footer, which are really the other the other options on the table in this situation. It makes the most sense. Now, how he looks in training camp is very important. How the new staff find him is very important because he may have impressed John Horst. I'm sure he did. He was good. He did everything the books could have asked for him in his short spell late last season. Um, unfortunately for him, Joe Prunty is not the head coach now, though, so he is someone else to prove his worth to. Um, his focus was obviously, understandably, three-point shooting this summer. Has he made any inroads? Are there results of that? He is a guy who is only, I think he's just turned 25. So he is still relatively young, where if there was some sign of that, you'd say, okay. Um, he is a different personality type, a different play type to many other guys in the roster and we've been down this road before and hopefully it will be less of the case this year with a hopefully a well-organized and functioning offense but the books have shown in recent years that they do need a kind of breakout bench score that if everything crumbles they have someone who can sometimes go and get their points that guarantees you're going to have ugly ugly nights where that guy can't get their points either and the whole thing looks like a train wreck but I think in terms of just giving yourself the, the widest range of options, and that isn't just in terms of what he provides you in terms of what his game is, but it's a positional thing. It's a size thing. It's it's putting lineups out on the floor. Shabazz Muhammad still makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I he's know sure, a lot so of... he's not. You don't think that will happen, but to go back, he is your preference? Am I right in saying that? It's not that I don't think it will happen. I think I think depending on how the the you know it basically hinges on Wood kind of forcing the Bucks hand and saying like, are you gonna like let me go or look at other options that you know are that they think are gonna be more worthwhile to the last roster or last spot on the roster, but 
how I view it personally, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, for all his flaws and how people view him because of his time in Minnesota and that, you know, he's very one dimensional. Um, and the fact that he, <laughs> what he did in, I don't know, what was it like 140 something minutes with the Bucks last year, somewhere in that range. It's not going to be sustainable at all, <laughs> but there were some things that you could just re- rely on with Shabazz outside of his scoring. There, like I liked him defensively. He asked, I mean, there's one thing to like, you know, kind of give a crap, which, if we're being honest, that wasn't really conveying a, a whole lot throughout a lot of the Bucks season last year defensively. Um, the fact that you can just, you know, he's positioning wise, I thought he was pretty good. Like he kind of stays in his he knows when to pick his spots to be aggressive and stuff like that and he's a solid rebounder off the glass um uh and i know the you know his three-point shooting is not going to be immaculate by any means but he's a 40.4 or 40 point was it 40.3 or 40 yeah 40.4 uh three-point shooter from the corners corner spots that's not that bad if you just set him up there within the offense and, you know, have him fill lanes that way. You can depend on him in that sense to knock down a couple threes when he gets his run. I don't know. I just think – I think your point about the bench, because, you know, I've been previewing – or we're previewing the season, obviously, and I run about with Delhi and how they want to – the Bucks have to improve their bench just because, you know, there's nowhere to go from – from where they were last year than up. Uh, but they just don't have that kind of, you know, scoring punch. And maybe we could debate whether that's necessary on this team at this point. But you you definitely want someone where you can kind of rely on for just to give it a little kind of scoring punch, every, you know, every 10, 12 minutes or whatever, kind of like in the Beasley fashion, even though that's – irrational in my sense but no it's not though because we saw the value of that and i mean part of that and to be clear on this is that you know there could be five consecutive games where shabazz logs a dmp but that six game may create a situation where you know if if it's could be a second line of a back-to-back or something the books look a little bit flat the things that you want to work the things that you're working on aren't necessarily happening and you need just some spark that could push things back to how you want to be maybe light a fire under the team and get some energy going or if not that maybe just have a free game themselves and go and do something which he showed twice he did for for the books down the stretch in the playoffs i mean the books spot in the playoffs and everything coming into that you know they had shabazz the tank for a couple of wins on the way in there which again sounds crazy i do honest too Right, I do think the other thing with with him, um, and like, I there aren't a whole, there aren't a whole lot of players I could think of that, you know, perception was so entrenched on them relative to what he actually had a chance to do in his career up to that point, because he didn't play a whole lot in Minnesota. I mean, he only had one season, I think, where he played. I think that was the two seasons. Uh... I'd say where he played. A significant amount of games and meaningful minutes per game, and there were his last two seasons with the Timberwolves. But like, if I don't think anyone ever had the the Timberwolves down as a picture of consistency, sanity, um, a, a functional organization, and that certainly sense, not in the last couple months. Exactly, that sense is only <laughs> now being further heightened 
So he was a guy who very obviously needed a fresh start and a change of scenery. He got that and he played well with the books. There is an element of well, let's put him on a let's put him on a partial guarantee. You know, let's let's put him on a deal that brings you true to later in the season where you know ten days come round. If anyone interesting comes from overseas or there's anyone on the waiver wire, you can you can look at moving him on then. But let's give him a chance and see because I made this point before too. If what he showed last year proved to be something real, that just getting out of the Timberwolves, getting to a new situation, getting his own mentality to a different place, working on his game to bring it to a certain point. If that proved to be real and he went to another team in the NBA and became a player who contributed consistently in a rotation, Bucks fans would never... Gerald Green? <laughs> yeah, man. Pretty much, maybe even in a greater sense. I don't know, Gerald. Yeah, let's just put it at Gerald Green. I mean, that is the example. But uh, the difference here, even was, it's not just that they brought him into camp. I mean, they had him last season too, and he was good. The books have already seen him be good. Gerald Green, it's worth worth reminding people this time of year. He looked terrible in preseason. He looked awful. There was no reason for the books to be like, let's keep Gerald Green here. So. Shabazz, they they actually got everything they could have hoped for from him last year. If he goes on and he's playing for the Pacers in like two months' time, and all of a sudden it's like, well, look what the Pacers get out of Shabazz Muhammad. He's in a Zach Lowe, 10 things I like and don't like, Shabazz Muhammad off the bench. Imagine the uproar, Jordan. I think he could be a very low-risk gamble for the books that based on what he's shown and based on their options they've they've given themselves at least at the moment again this could change when you know at deandre liggins character becomes available at the last minute but they've given themselves effectively four <laughs> options to choose from he is the one that makes the most sense for the overall shape of the roster yep. would they just don't they it's it's Giannis is the most and... interesting long term but he isn't he isn't 18 you know, he's young, right? But he's at a point where you want you need to play him to help him develop if he is to be anything real. So yep. if you don't have minutes, I think that's a there's kind of a push-pull there that's that's difficult. He is still young enough that he could be really good, but he's only gonna get really good if you got minutes for him. And then he is still young and he has these issues. Do you want to give him minutes when you're a team with expectations where the books are? There's all of that going on. And that is a tricky balancing act. Um, you don't have any of that with Shabazz. I mean, he kind of is what he is. There is possibly a better version of him that we saw glimpses of last year and could be sustained if managed correctly. And he that's the other thing. He can certainly be utilized and managed better than he was last year, even when he was effective with the books, i.e. don't play him at shooting guard and know when to bench him would be the two things. But right now, I, th- I think he would make the most sense. To me, anyway. I don't think it'll be popular. I don't think everyone, everything I've ever said about Shabazz Muhammad, I think has been greeted with vocal opposition for most books fans. I think just every, a lot of people decided on him a long time ago. Um, but yeah, the appeal of Christian Wood makes sense, but the opportunity isn't there so you know in a very real sense i don't i don't get why you do that mm-hmm. 
let's move it on a little bit. Let's talk about what's going to be the biggest talking point over the next week, two weeks, next month or so, and that's going to be the new books and what they look like. Now, the roster is largely the same, but with like Budenholzer and his coaching staff in situ, this promises to be a very, very different style of books basketball to what we've seen in recent seasons. <laughs> with, to, with this franchise, I mean, not just recent seasons, maybe may very, very yeah. different to what they've seen for a long time. No, I don't want to say ever. Nelly Ball was... You know, you're going back to there. Del Harris could probably, because he still had a lot of those principles that followed over. Um, post Del Harris, we could definitely cut off, though, and say, have the books seen a style of basketball and a team with the ability? Uh, I don't know. We we don't need to get into George Carl conversations and arguments, really, ever. The players have already been speaking, though, Jordan. <laughs> Boy, have they. <laughs> the, the owners have also been speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, it really started at Media Day, and this is going to continue. And, you know, the the most enjoyable part of all of this is sometime, somewhere, Jason Kidd is going to resurface in some form, some shape. Who knows what shape that may be. <laughs> but some he's, he's going to get in on this, too. <laughs> he didn't do it at the Basketball Hall of Fame around that weekend. He was too busy practicing reading the auto cue in the most uncomfortable way possible. It will happen someday. In the meantime, those inside the books organization are having their say, and unsurprisingly, they feel pretty good about the changes that have been made and about the direction that could take the team. I'll start this off with Wes Edens. I think the one obvious difference around the team is that Bud has a system. He has a system that he plays. He has players he wants to play in the system. You can see it in the practices. You can see it in his approach to the game. And I think that's a material change. I think giving people a job, telling them what their jobs are, and hiring the right people for those jobs is essentially what a system means. It's had great success in the past, and let's hope it has great success here. Um, This was by far the most interesting quote of Media Day. It's not news. It's not surprising. We all have eyes. We all knew that was the case. There was just, by the end of kids' time, it was chaos. Um, But so quickly after the fact, before a preseason game has even been played, you know, you expect that if the books come out and they win their first 10 games and Wes Edens gets one of those those in-game interviews courtside of Pfizer Forum, as has happened in the past, and then he comes out with that. You expect that. But on media day to already be pinning just how different this looks in practice. That is a pretty bold declaration. And I will say it doesn't necessarily reflect all that well on Wes Edens and the rest of the ownership group because, you know, that went on a long time if there wasn't a system and, you know, all of those other elements. But the past being the past, Jordan, we've moved on. And it's clear that for this ownership group, and let's remember, Kid was really the only coach they had because, you know, Larry Drew basically, he crossed the, was it like, like a ship in the night? Was that, is that the best way to describe the relationship between LED? Of course, they weren't, they weren't FLED back then. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but Kidd was their only coach. So their experience of basketball coaches has been how Jason Kidd runs this. And it seems it's striking to them how different it is under Bud. And um, the other key elements we've had on this, and uh, my favorite one is Chris Middleton has done it twice. He did it on media day. He did it again. I think it was after the first practice speaking to Matt Velasquez and the assembled media. Um, but he talks about Bud wants players to get in and out, do your work and get your feet up. And this is very, very striking and relevant because obviously kid had this reputation as a hardline taskmaster who, when things didn't go well, we would hear reports of, you know, Oh, they had a double practice session today heading into their back to back because, you know, he had to send a message. So this idea of it's, you know, smaller bursts of work, more focused is very different. Then most recently, Malcolm Brogdon also shared some of his thoughts on the change. <laughs> um that was that was within the larger, that was again a Mafalaska the Journal Sentinel article on the Daily Vitamins approach that Bud and his staff bring to the books, which again is you know what made their development so successful in Atlanta and is really this focus on detail and on getting the small things right and the small things for the individual how brogdon framed this was i quote honestly they're very detail oriented but at the same time they're very enthusiastic they're very positive their approach is just so different than what i've experienced in terms of being encouraging being uplifting jordan what do you think he's saying there um i i don't know i mean he's not really it's more, uh, uh <laughs> it feels like he's concealing. Saying Tony Bennett wasn't very encouraging. It's not what he's uh, possibly, maybe someone from AU. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, how much stock should we place in? We, we've talked so much about you know the shooting, the spacing, obviously, the defense being completely revamped as a priority for all of us, but. I don't think I'm wrong in saying that you and I long felt like the most toxic element of what kid was doing was how his personality seemed to just impact everything around them and the general vibe around the team and how they were approaching fixing issues even when they arose. You know, there you didn't have this sense of, okay, the defense isn't working the way it used to be, but there's such a strong bond and understanding between everyone that they'll definitely fix it. And that, in a lot of ways, became the biggest issue. Is this something where we're going to be looking on the court for all of these different results and these different kind of ways in which the books don't resemble their, their former selves? But players and an owner very immediately feeling comfortable vocally kind of painting out what the differences are. Is that something that we shouldn't understate considering how familiar we all got with Jason Kidd's own unique brand of, I don't know, bristly discontent. Yeah. I, I don't think it should be understated at all. I mean, the fact that probably outside of, you know, kind of what can Coach Bud do for this team and all that stuff and Giannis, I think the biggest theme for me was kind of like 
for this year's media day, I know we didn't talk about it, uh, but for me, it was like control what you can't control. Instead of last year's media day was all about expectations, living up to expectations and stuff, you know, 50 wins, Jets saying that top five defense and we're going to win a playoff series and stuff like that. And Chris Middleton said as much during this year's media day or some interview that he just it felt like a fool when the season was the way it was last year. And you say all these things and everybody's just in, completely disappointed. Their Bucks had never looked more disorganized. And even honestly, like even compared to like their 15 win season when they're it's, you know, this, they have this roster of like Jeff Adrian, all these guys that come from the woodwork and, you know, they're basically are just done for the rest of the year after, you know, after the turn of the calendar year and stuff like that. Bucks last year looked more disorganized, like in terms of how everything was built and compared to that 15 win team. On yeah, it's the fall because you don't come in saying top five defense, 50 wins. And then the coach fired at the end of January. Yeah, you know, like I'm not saying those things often go hand in hand for those very good reasons, is because you shouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily be saying those things unless you've got you know a pretty strong feel that you're going to be in that position. Like if you win 49 games the year before, maybe you could say that. Um, but when you've become one of the league's worst defenses and you're still quite a long way away from that, maybe not the time. Um, like the details are when you hear Brogdon, obviously the the image of Brogdon shrugging and looking bemused on the bench when all of a sudden he just wasn't playing in the first half. And I only, I I went back for, what was it for? For some article I was doing recently, I needed a quote. It was something to do with kids firing. So I went back to the article that Zach Lowe wrote about the books on their future, the week of his firing. It was only, I think two or three days after kid had been fired. And like that detail remained in there as one that was obviously internally that people were just very bemused by that broke then all of a sudden wasn't playing and had no idea why it wasn't a weird the players voted for a one quarter suspension deal <laughs> it was just yeah he's not put him in the game he hasn't explained to me i have no idea and how unhealthy is that <laughs> how unhealthy is that for everyone because that sort of thing doesn't just affect the player involved we saw at the time if I remember correctly, it was Giannis who asked him, why aren't you in the game? Yep. So it's, it, immediately, as if they didn't have 1,001 other reasons to be doing it, the players are second-guessing the coach and everything they're being told because they're like, uh, this guy's clearly one of our best players and you're not putting him in the game. What is going on? Like, the books had got to that point and gone so far beyond that point that having something and someone that they can believe in and trust in and just be like, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> this makes sense. He seems to be being transparent here. Um, there isn't some sort of frequent environment of passive aggressiveness, and we're not being set up for these uncomfortable conflicts where you know we all sit in a room and say who we think is best. You know, that does seem conductive to a good season. That seems conductive to improvement, and it should be pretty exciting. I'm going to still, I'm going to take this opportunity to, you know, provide caution. I'm very excited. I'm very optimistic about what this season ends up being and what the books look like. I think what they look like at the end of the year will be very different to what they look like at the beginning of the year. Their record may not represent how good they are by the time the playoffs come around. 
because I think there'll be some adjustments. I think there'll be some adjustment on the court. Um, part of that is, you know, we just want guys to take trees. They don't have to worry about missing them. We're hearing a lot of this. You know, it's taking them. It's getting to the spots. It's, it's spacing the floor appropriately that matters to the coaching staff. That is very true. But, for example, if that is John Henson and he is taking four trees a game and not even catching the rim with any of them, you know, maybe by the end of the season he could make one of them. And those sort of things make a difference. I think it will be the defense as well. I mean, that's the wild card in this. We have ideas of things Bud has done before, but he has done lots of very different things. So we don't know what his defense will be like in Milwaukee. We're going to find out. We may get a kind of clearly defined look at that on on Wednesday. Um, obviously, you won't see it in a more competitive environment where you can really judge it for a couple of weeks yet, but we're going to find out. I still think all of that will take a bit of time. Doesn't mean they're going to be bad while it takes the time, but they may be middling to good, which is kind of, I mean, that's what their level has been. And then be in a position that turn of the year, they can really take off or post all-star break, they can really take off, which ultimately, I mean, that's what this is about. Um, it would be nice if the books could time a run and be trending upwards at a time. And that will also come into this idea again of, you know, being smarter with how they work on their conditioning and how they rest and being a fresher team at the time of year, because there's no doubt. I mean, the last two years in particular, Giannis has looked pretty burned out by the playoffs. Not as much last year because he learned from the lessons of the year before against the Raptors where like he was game six against the Raptors, right? 47 minutes. But it's not even that it's the, he was missing free throws because he had nothing in his legs. You know, yeah. he, he was so visibly, about as visibly tired as you'll ever see a player on the court. You know, the books don't need to be in that spot come April. So I think there will be something gradual about all this, and that should, and I'm going to wager will be for the best. We will get our first look at Bud's books on Wednesday. We'll also get our first look at real action. May not be, you know, regular season action, but it is real. You create me, it's real. It's actually happening, Jordan. It's real. Two NBA teams, that sort of stuff, in Pfizer form against the Chicago Bulls, which of course brings the interesting wrinkle of Jabari Parker's first return to Milwaukee. Um, it comes at a kind of an interesting time all around. Obviously, the fact that Jabari was drafted and in the time, not all that long after he was drafted, obviously the arena became something that was going to be a reality. And he was very much viewed at that time as he's the player who's going to lead the books into a new arena. I guess it's nice that they've essentially invited him along for the, <laughs> for the beginning of that new era. I do think that is fitting. And I, I also don't necessarily think that's a coincidence. Um, maybe not for that exact reason, but for the reason that, well, that generates interest. How about a game with local rivals that also brings Jabari Parker back? Is that going to get fans in for the first preseason game? I'd guess so. On the ball side, though, Larry Markin is out for two months. Am I right in saying two months? Which... Eight weeks, yeah. I mean, their season wasn't looking all that rosy to begin with. Um, no. It now looks incredibly grim. The one person that they may give a really great opportunity to is Jabari. And 
look, <laughs> we know this. We knew from the moment he signed elsewhere. It's something that books fans are going to watch very closely. And if things work out from there, we're going to hear all about it. We're going to talk all about it, Jordan, for quite a while to come. Do you like the fact that he, the timing of his return is coinciding with the start of preseason, with this opening game? I mean, for all of the reasons I mentioned earlier, but also for a reason that it's out of the way straight away. I don't think it's going to get out of the way. I mean, it's out of the way. It's going to be a big deal when he comes back, every time he comes back for the first couple of seasons. Yeah. But yeah. this is the first time. He's already, like, there's already quotes from Bull's practice mm-hmm. today where he's talking about it. Now, time is great for this, and that his tongue may loosen more and more as time goes on. But... You know, we've already got all of that. We're going to have more of that. I mean, if we're going to have a great episode of Jabari Parker Says Stuff on Wednesday, are you glad that it's happening on Wednesday as opposed to, like, in the middle of, say, a busy run of games in December? Um... I don't know. I think either way, it's if 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 a, a an episode of Jabari Parker says stuff, whenever that happens, it's going to probably catch the attention of Bucks fans. No, I'm not. I know. Of course, it's going to, and we'll talk about it. And everything. There's no way to think it's overlooked. But I'm talking more about like the actual team and the results and the process of moving on from Jabari Parker. Mm-hmm. You know the whole thing becomes less of a sideshow when the very first game of preseason, you can have him come back. Like, I'm sure I, I did give this some thought. Uh, there is no way that he won't get a tribute video at some point, and I will be surprised if that happens in a preseason game. Oh, no, yeah, they wouldn't. I They do play the Bulls at home. I'm, maybe I'm misremembering that, but I do think it's pretty early in the season. Like, um, November 6th, 16th? I don't know why that date already comes to mind but it's somewhere it's like in the first month of play i'll take your word for it rain man um, <laughs> like Wapker. i i do think just all of that being out of the way so the team can then just you know play their games is important the, the books haven't had a whole lot of situations like this in recent time because they haven't had high-profile players to leave in the first place, you know, <laughs> to get in a situation where this is a relevant discussion. you got to have some players that are, you know, notable to begin with. Yeah, like, the only time, I honestly, probably, like, the only times that compares to is to this magnitude, probably, but it differs to, like, Jennings and Ellis. Jennings. Jennings are Bogut. Bogut's... Bogut's probably bigger, because that was came out of the blue i don't know it's just, it's just so weird because the, the bulls played i think it was new orleans sunday night for a preseason mm-hmm. game i saw a couple of bucks fans talking about it on twitter just like how he looked and stuff like that and it just kind of equated to that madman gif of uh john ham don draper talking to like forgetting his the other character's name like I don't think about you at all or something like that like that's the basis of the gif and i'm just like that's kind of how i am about this I don't know. I'm kind of seeing through clear eyes, and I just don't really have that much. 
that attachment it's no like i agree with that completely. kind of thing yeah i agree and look we were both very yeah we made that very clear at the time when i thought was going down like he uh he burned some bridges and he let them light the way to chicago and, <laughs> you know in a way that miles Plumley would understand but he you know we were all kind of we had enough at that point i i we had anyway and i'm not speaking for everyone i know there are plenty of people who were upset with it but I mean, yeah, he's got some talent. He's also got a lot of issues going on. Uh, he had 15 points, 8 rebounds on 5 of 14 for the field. He played 25 minutes, which is kind of a lot. <laughs> um, that's a lot for anyone in the first preseason game. It's even more like when you've got a guy with two ACL tears. But hey, I'm, again, Jordan, this isn't our problem anymore. Yep. You know, the Bulls can do what the Bulls want to do. And... Yeah, we'll get an up-close look at him in his new number two jersey. And It's so funny just to talk about how much has changed around the Bucks, And it went since Jabari's left. It's like, oh yeah, it's like been three months. <laughs> it's so weird. It's, true, it, it's, very, it's very strange. Um, and all the questions that kind of were around at that time. You know, it, it is impressive how different the franchise he's returning to is you know and he's going going to play in a building he's never played before that goes as a given but he's facing a coaching staff who never coached him um he will be playing against you know new players who he didn't play with so yeah the whole thing is going to be interesting uh do you expect a good reception for him I think there'll be a smattering of applause does this matter i think you'll get i don't know i I really don't know do they do fans wait for the real thing instead of preseason? Yeah, that is a weird thing that I it's can't. A well, different wrinkle. How can you do that? I think it's just got to be both. So yeah. I, I think he'll get very warm applause. I mean, uh, we can kind of we could discuss them or view them whatever way, but he did say and do a lot of good things for and about Milwaukee. Um, okay. So I think people will appreciate that. And the way it happened, it, there's also, you know, he can always say, I didn't choose to leave. You know, I wanted to stay there. And the people who want to believe that can always believe that and be pretty vocal to support. That always makes a big difference in this. And he's never really broken away from that. He said things like, oh, once the Bulls was an option, there was no place I wanted to be more. But he has never said, you know, I just wanted out of there, even though it didn't take a whole lot of reading between the lines to know if he was to stay, there would have to be very, very specific circumstances for him to want to do that and to make the most of that. Um, outside of that, what, if anything, are you most excited about from Wednesday's game against the Bulls? Um, I don't know. I think I was, this is personal, but I was thinking, I was kind of enjoying the offseason. Like the season's coming. To oh, yeah. I, I mean, if it could have gone for another year, I would have taken it. <laughs> we made the most of the offseason. We got through it, the dog days, as they said. But there weren't that many dog days in my mind. It kind of flew by. But it will be enjoyable to talk about actual Bucks basketball, even though it's in the preseason sense. There are going to be some things that, you know, how does Sterling Brown look? Does Matthew Delvadova make two threes? I don't know. <laughs> that was very specific. But you've, you're be... you're obsessed with Delhi. I mean, I don't mean to bring this out on the on the podcast, 
I mean, I feel like every day I go and see what articles have we got. It's either a Delhi or Tony Snell article. Jordan is all in on the bench redemption stories this year. Bench redemption. <laughs> bench redemption. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just excited to see it all unfold. That sounds really awful and cheesy. But I'm just excited. I I don't know what I'm excited for yet. Um, I mean, bigger picture, sure, I'm excited to see how Bud's books look, but I'm not going to be judging that all that much based on a preseason game against the Bulls. Um, But if it's Brook Lopez looking really effective and really at home within the system and alongside his teammates, that will be exciting. Uh, Yanis doing Yanis stuff is obviously going to be exciting. Um, how Chris Middleton looks, what Eric Bledsoe looks like, and if he can wipe the sour taste of the playoffs out of my mouth ever again, that's that's certainly a storyline that will be interesting. And then, you know... Pat Connaughton. Pat Lobaton. I'm surprised you didn't just, when I asked what are you most excited about, just kind of dive straight into a Pat Connaughton rant. But yeah, all of that. Pat Connaughton, sure. Why not? Let's go to the mailbag, Jordan. We've got not a handful of questions. We've got less than a handful. We've got a small few. I, it's my fault. It's impromptu. Um, we will be more regular, so keep an eye out, and I will aim to give more notice next time. So if you've got mailbag questions, follow Win and Six podcast, and when the call goes out, send them to us. Um, there's a few questions in this one from at David Dunn 21 Don't suppose you guess what kind of... Uh, what kind of direction these questions will take, Jordan? Is a Chris for Butler trade our one and only chance to push our chips in the middle of the table? I think it's probably the most immediate chance to push the chips all the way off the other side of the table, then lose them over the floor, like the scramble around blindly on the floor, <laughs> trying to like recover the chips. Rolling, rolling on the floor, and you have to like chase after it. Well, the remaining chips that are left on the table then, you know, gradually move away to the edge of the table and go elsewhere. Um, I, I think the books trading for Jimmy Butler, particularly if it came at the cost of Chris Middleton, would be a disastrously bad idea. Disastrously bad. That is not that Jimmy Butler isn't a really, really good player. Um, it's that getting rid of Chris Middleton, who can shoot, for Jimmy Butler, who cannot shoot, to then pair alongside Eric Bledsoe, who cannot shoot, and Giannis, who cannot shoot. Um, having just hired a coach who values shooting would be a very bad idea. Bringing in a guy who, in two consecutive years, has, if not caused, been a major part of significant locker room schisms. Contribute to a schism. In two very different organizations in with different situations, different. I mean, he's now at this point fallen out with young up-and-coming players, with older established players. Um, and then of course, he is a free agent who has made it clear where he wants to play, what kind of situation he wants to play in next year. Um, I'm not interested in the Paul George S gamble unless it's for a player who it's worth taking that gamble on. Jimmy Butler's talent would make you say that, but you've got Giannis. This is the thing. I think 
the books don't need to be reckless with their gambles and just be like, that's a star, we need to get them. No, no, because you've got a superstar. You've got like one of the five, six best players in the NBA. You just now need to find the right guys and take your time. I mean, one and only chance to push the chips to the middle of the table. I still think free agency in a couple of years and our potentially trades around that time. That's the time where the books, they allow the current form of the team to bet in a bit more. They get a look at what the team looks like under an actual NBA coach. And then you figure out what you need and you make a big push before Giannis has to make his decisions the following year on whether he wants to be a book, how long he'll be a book for. So it's just my opinion, but I would rather Chris Middleton, who is perfectly comfortable being second banana, third banana on this team, whatever it may be, who fits the system really, really well with new coaching staff, who has developed a really strong chemistry with Giannis in particular. Um, and I think is very, very likely to resign even. And this might be relevant to the person asking the question. Even if you don't like Chris Middleton, the book's best path to adding major talent long-term may be resigning Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. Because if he plays well, <clears throat> doesn't have to like way outperform what he what he's doing already or has done in recent years. If he plays well and he's on a contract which has him tied down for multiple years as a player who's just below all-star level, possibly this year he could make all-star. Um, that's the kind of trade chip the books don't have at the moment. <laughs> um, they don't have a player making significant salary who they want to trade, who's tied down for multiple years. You know, if you want to get in these deals, that's the kind of player that a lot of these teams will be interested in. It, part of the the discussion coming up here is Middleton is seen as someone. Okay, if we're going to lose Butler, at least if we get Middleton, we get some other things. Maybe there's something there. I don't think they have that option with Butler. I honestly, I think Butler would probably leave. Um, and beyond that, there's nothing about the basketball fit that convinces me that he'd want to stay by the end of the year. It's Giannis' yeah. team. He wants his own team, really. I mean, that's what the evidence of the last two years tells us. And this is not the place because it's not going to be his team. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this privately, but I don't think it's, I think it's undisputable that at this current moment, Jimmy Butler is both a talent upgrade uh, and probably most importantly, I think is he may not be like a superstar, but he is probably the most valuable non-superstar in the league just by what he's done with, you know, the last couple of years with the Bulls and obviously last year with the Timberwolves just because, you know, he played so much. And even when he was hurt, I mean, everybody's been talking about this around the league, so I'm not going to hammer it at home even more, <laughs> but there's, I'm, I would be comfortable with Chris Middleton being, you know, 85% of what Jimmy Butler is at this state than getting Jimmy Butler himself, just because there's a lot of red flags around him. And I like Jimmy Butler. I think I, he's I like his personality, even though he, it certainly bristles a lot with <laughs> teammates around the locker room and stuff like that. I just think, the way he is, his story is very, you know, going from going from uh, Juco to Marquette, obviously, to being just kind of this end-of-the-bench player to now being what he is, being one of the top 15 players in the league. All this stuff, 
he just has a very inspiring story, obviously on its on its face. But there's a lot of stuff that just really is tough is really tough to ignore. And the fact that he's going to be thirty, the fact that he's it's not that he doesn't wouldn't want to resign with the Bucks after this year just because of destination and where he's you know his reported wish list of teams and all that stuff. I just don't think the Bucks are gonna would want to sign him to his max contract well, or whatever it is. Do. You know, yeah. it's it's actually it's kind of it's a much bigger scale and a much obviously uh, more proven, valuable, and desirable talent. But it's kind of not dissimilar to the Eric Bledsoe discussion in some ways. Yeah, that you you don't necessarily want his next contract. I mean, Middleton has played just under four thousand minutes less than Butler in his career, and he's only two years younger i'll take that he is on a he's on a pad at the moment where he probably makes up that gap and gets pretty similar to it um but being two years behind on that track is a good thing <laughs> particularly when you've got Giannis and you're still building a young team and you're not winning right now you're realistically hoping that you're going to be right there in two years you know that that is the book's timeline i mean even if they make major improvements this year, they make major improvements the next year. Those improvements, the ultimate goal of them is to serve as the thing that makes Giannis want to stay on to his next contract, where then throughout that time, you can be one of the very best teams in the league. And part of that is potentially outstaying LeBron, or at least outstaying LeBron's relevance. Other players like him, that generation of players, the generation even just behind that, if the books could be perfectly positioned when Kevin Durant is at the latter stage of his, of his career, as Steph Curry is getting onto the latter stages of his career. And, you know, you don't know how injuries are going to treat any of those guys. Butler has a lot of miles on the clock, has already had pretty consistent injury issues. Not necessarily there goes a whole season, but, you know, consistent enough that year to year, you're going to be like, okay, he's going to miss a bit of time here or there with some knee issues. Um, yeah, the, the appeal just isn't there. And again, I think it's not a knock on him as a player. I think that's the thing that a lot of books fans are probably, probably wouldn't understand or really maybe even care about in this conversation. Just like he's Jimmy Butler. How are you not better with Jimmy Butler? Well, I mean, the Timberwolves are probably asking themselves that question right now. I mean, they were better. They weren't anywhere near as improved as they hoped to be. And it's turned out that the, the longevity of that partnership is incredibly short-lived because I think they were betting on two years at least. You know, they just certainly weren't expecting to be in this situation. Again, from David Don Twenty One, I we don't normally allow questions like this. Is Buster Rhymes underrated as a rapper? <laughs> That's not a books question, Jordan. Buxta Rhymes. There we go. I, I don't know I don't know how he is rated really I don't next question I I don't feel like he's underrated but maybe I'm wrong I don't care <laughs> why did we learn why did we learn from playoff Henson and playoff Ton and playoff Baz but playoff Middleton is the deal um because the baseline of what those players produce is very, very different. So the first three examples do not equal the last example. Um, Middleton has been really, really good 
whether people want to believe the rise or not, for quite some time now. And his playoff play may have been a peak of sorts, an unsustainable jump that he may reach again at spells in his career, but certainly couldn't be sustained beyond that. But it is closer to his regular production than Ton Maker's average game. Five blocks. As opposed to playoff Ton Maker. <laughs> um, likewise for John Henson, likewise for Shabazz Muhammad. So the key difference is that one of those things is easier to buy into. I don't think anyone buys into playoff Middleton as in he's just going to come and be that guy every single night. That That yeah. isn't possible, you know? And um, particularly like 62 <laughs> percent or something like that yeah it, that's not possible but yeah. the what what you buy into out of that is uh, middleton who again is shooting much more efficiently who is really confident who's doing the right things on both ends his engagement defensively shouldn't be overlooked in that and um, there's no reason to say why that couldn't happen even more so when you listen to him and you listen to the difference in approach to how workload and recovery is being handled with the new coaching staff as opposed to the previous group why wouldn't you get more out of middleton why couldn't you get something closer to that he also had an uncharacteristic down year last year yep it came good second half um but his numbers overall are still skewed by what was a really really bad and you and i who both really like middleton big big middleton fans were super critical of him for the that first spell of the season because he was bad and um, his shooting came close to deserting him about as close as it does for a shooter of his caliber. But it was to got... the level of Jimmy Butler. No, I'm joking. Was a joke. <laughs> You're not really percentages would be pretty close. Um, he got it back though, and I think that's what the playoffs showed. It also showed a different kind of appetite and ability to deliver on the big stage, which. Could easily have been a question mark against them. Previously, do like, I think he provided a lot of answers for things people might have had to say about him. He provided answers as to well, what can a Giannis Chris Middleton duo combine to do? And I think you go, okay, they could do that. They could push the Celtics to seven games. It then becomes okay. Well, what if they? What if they had a coach and they had other players who were capable of contributing? What if Eric Bledsoe didn't just like? vanish into thin air midway through the series. Lastly, from David on 21, we have a couple more questions, but lastly from him, do you prefer Mill, M-I-L, or M-K-E? I prefer M-K-E, but I'm not the person to speak on this because I'm not a, I'm not a local. I'm not a native, Jordan. <laughs> I would also say M-K-E because it's different. There could be other sports cities or towns whatever they can use the mil moniker mke is a little different i, I mean over time i've i've changed from when i first started writing with the books and i didn't know a lot about milwaukee i would have anytime i needed to abbreviate it, it would have been mill it's gone gone out the window now it's it's mke <laughs> now make mke no that's not uh, no, 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 i wasn't yeah that's <laughs> so commend should Brogdon start or lead the second unit? I don't know the answer to should. I I wrote about this earlier this week too, and I actually think he is he is actually a very difficult player to get a 
you know what he is, right? You know what he can do well, but to really kind of define him and find his best role is still a challenge. Um, I think this depends on what the defense looks like and how it suits Brogdon. Will he look like a much better defender and he needs to than he did last year? Or will he be exposed and potentially be cut out in terms of any sort of foot race again? Like, in the previous system, he couldn't play point guard anymore. And the books didn't really need him to. Yet there is something of value to what he can do offensively as a point guard. His kind of steady play. And if he's not a point guard and you're starting him as a two guard, this also is interesting when we talk about, say, the training camp thing earlier. If if the books see Brogdon as a shooting guard now, well, then Tim Frazier may really be in pole position because they've got Delhi and then they've got Duval on a two-way and they've got Dante. Um, I, I, he will start. I mean, there's, there really isn't doubt about that now from all of the rumblings that have come out in the last couple of weeks. But whether he should, what he does long-term still remains... A mystery. He is good. He is useful. He can play a variety of roles. Mm-hmm. They should try very hard this year before they have to deal with his free agency next year to find out what is his best role and just how valuable that is. Because I, they don't know that right now. And I think that is part of the reason why you still kind of hear rumblings. They may be willing to trade him. And I think that could continue throughout the season unless they really nail down and be like, oh, no, he's a shooting guard and he's really good at that. I don't know why he couldn't be either. You think of I mean that's why couldn't he have a Gary Harris, Harris right? Why couldn't, why couldn't he have a Gary Harris role, for example? I mean, the defense is the key thing there. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a guy who was a really like he was twice all ACC, right? Virginia ACC. Yep. Defensive player of the year, his last two years in college. He was the National Coaches Association player of the year for senior year, or defensive player of the year for senior year. So this isn't a guy who, like, I don't I don't know who I'm comparing to. This isn't a guy with no defensive IQ. I certainly think putting up against better athletes, um, more talented point guards, that has exposed some of the weaknesses in the NBA that would not have been apparent during his time in college. But I think he's smart enough that if you get things right and you don't leave him overexposed, he could still work out as a really good defender. Um, and at worst be an average defender. He was worse than that last year, but I think that's not all on him when you're part of a scheme like that, that is going to leave you as maybe a slower player scrambling or, you know, <laughs> uh, being the guy forcing the rest of the defense to scramble. He was a real, there was a stat I can't quite remember now, but he was frequently, you know, opposing teams targeted him out of the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And the reason to target him was because of his foot speed. It's not even that he deal with the pick and roll all that poorly, but if you were quicker than him, you know, the books want to double. They want to trap. They're just waiting for any excuse to do so. So if you can get by Malcolm Brogdon, you've given them the excuse and you've created an open shot. Change the defense so that it doesn't do that. Then all of a sudden you could be like, oh no, he's he's able to positively contribute in that front. Like he is perfect for switching because he's got a seven foot wingspan basically, and he's six five. He can hold his own against small forwards. He can hold his own against some power forwards. Um, 
it's just what what the books do, what Bud decides to do with that. Yeah, I mean, we say it as like a problem, like figuring out what his best role is, but that's kind of you know, I would say that is Malcolm Brogdon's best trait is that he can fill so many different responsibilities and duties that you know now coach bud will have to figure out um yeah i i don't think it's a question of should i think i feel very confident that you know him getting run with uh the starters group which i don't think we know who the starting center is but i mean i would assume it's brooke lopez at this point obviously it could be it could be hansen Arton. just like i mean uh, that's the one where that could evolve very quickly and i wouldn't read a whole lot into the long-term starting five at the center spot based on what opens the season and because brooke lopez is new to the team like maybe for chemistry purposes for anything they decide to allow him a little bit more time and maybe that's a decision that will be made based on how they feel things mesh in preseason but i i think overall eventually we expect them to get there because as we said at the time of his signing um he doesn't sign that deal to come and play for the books to back up John Henson or Tom Maker, you know, yeah. and they, they don't sign him. I mean, you get Brooke Lopez, you should play him. He's really good. Yep. But I, I mean, I, I, again, I don't think it's not necessarily how I view it is not necessarily about the starting, you know, kind of, uh, topic. It's the fact that Brogdon's definitely going to be a part of the ideal closing lineup. The mm-hmm. Bucks have. That's that's without question. So, yeah, he's. It's tough to really peg what he can offer you in terms of just kind of like traditional or ideal roles and stuff like that. But that is kind of you know the fact that he can do offer so much more and you know he has a lot of versatility is you know his his traits trademark I guess. Lastly, from Russell H. Clark. Does Delhi have to chase a max contract just to pay for all those goddamn avocados? There's actually three questions here, so I want to say lastly. I mean, it's the, he's the last person to get questions in. Good for you, Russ. Um, does Delhi have to chase a max contract just to pay for all those goddamn avocados? There is this thing about avocados being expensive. I don't think they're that expensive. No. How will Snell play in Bud's new system? Hopefully, well. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Um, he should. Like, there's no reason why he sh- why he won't. So, um, if he doesn't, there will only be one person to blame, and that will be Tony Snell. Yep. And lastly, is Tom finally bulking up? No, he's been bulking up for years. <laughs> like, and this is this is it's maybe now starting to show he can only get so big. I've been through this one before, but this is actually people can read about this. This is somewhat of a genetic thing. It comes from, you know, Dinka tribe. Exactly. Jordan Jordan's heard me talk about this before. Um, but there were there were plenty of articles kind of along these lines at the time. Like it's not. He he is not Yanis. He didn't just arrive and it's like, look, this guy's really skinny. He just he needs to hit the weight room. And that is kind of a that's kind of the genetic makeup. I don't I don't know. I don't know if I have the right terminology to fully dive really deep into that, but that is it's a characteristic of people from the area of Sudan where Ton Maker and his family are from. So 
I think he can only get so big. And I mean, it's not like that's something that just applies to him. That's something that applies to everyone without kind of tipping the scales over and losing something else. But I think with Tan, <laughs> the point where people are now being like, is Tan finally bulking up? Well, that might be the point where he has bulked up as much as he can if people are actually noticing it. We'll see as time goes on. But even now, I, I don't I don't see on his frame. He looks much more solid. It looks he looks good. Um, we'll see what that translates to on the court. Tan's biggest problem hasn't really been size, which no. is interesting because that does get discussed a lot, and it should be in a lot of ways. Um, but there were lots of other things that he wasn't necessarily doing as well as the books needed him to that prevented him from having a bigger role or developing at the rate we'd like. Hopefully that could change this year, though, and we'll start to get a sense of that. We'll start to get a feel for all of these things very, very soon. And we'll be back very, very soon. I say that because it's ambiguous. You can't hold us accountable for how many days that is or isn't. <laughs> Um, but in all seriousness, it is probably the next few days or so. Um, certainly week at maximum, we will want to talk about some of the things we're seeing in preseason. We pro will probably wait till we see a couple of preseason games. That makes sense, but we will be yeah. back. For that. And I hope everyone watches closely so that you have some good questions we can answer on what we see in those games. So that is it for us for now. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Snapple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher, and favor us on TuneIn Radio to make sure you catch every episode of Winning Six. You can follow us on Twitter at Winning Six Podcast. That's where you send all your mailbag questions. And make sure you check out all of our work at BehindTheBookPass.com. You should be doing that all the time anyway. If you haven't been doing so, the season is effectively back now it's time to get back into that routine all of mine jordan's work and the rest of the great team we have behind the thanks again for listening thank you jordan thank you <laughs>